If you guys have your Bibles tonight, I want to invite you to open uh, your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 13. We'll be uh, working our way through Proverbs 13 tonight. Keeping in mind all the examples as we, as we go, the, the primary issue throughout the book of Proverbs is street signs. Recognizing street signs. What road am I on? Am I on the road that leads to life? Then continue. If I'm not, if my behavior, the things I'm doing, the choices I'm making have placed me on the road or the path of destruction, repent. Get off that road. Get back on the road of life. Does it make sense? This is the concept that we're going to see as we work our way all the way through uh, the 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. Yeah, I was thinking never was happening. (laughs) So we look, Proverbs chapter 13, read it together. It says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. And whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is in his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence, comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignore instruction. But whoever heeds reproof is honored. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to the fool. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. And a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food. But it is swept away because of injustice. And whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that your word uh, gives to us. God, I pray your spirit will be with us tonight, Lord, that you... uh, have prepared the soil of our hearts to receive the seed of your word, God, and that that would go forth and bear fruit. 
God, help us to be men and women who can recognize the signs on the road that we walk. I pray, God, that we, as we recognize those things, would hear the call of Jesus throughout the word as he declares to us, come, follow me. For wide is the path of destruction, and many there are who find it. And narrow is the way to eternal life. God, we ask your blessing tonight. We lay it before you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at several tonight as we uh, begin to work our way through the different groupings of parables that we have. The first one deals with (coughs) the use of the mouth, proper use of the mouth. Remember when we did James? In James chapter 3, it said that the test of maturity is how much you pray. Was that what it said? You guys remember? The test of maturity was how much you read your Bible? What was the test of maturity? Could you control your mouth? Can you, are you in charge of your tongue? Or is your tongue in charge of you? That was the, the sign of maturity in the book of James. And that is also a road sign on the road of life. Being able to control our mouths, the things we say, how we respond. I can't control much else in my life, right? I, I, things that occur are outside, I have no control over. In fact, for the most part, control is an illusion. You know, that's proven on a Sunday afternoon in Texas, isn't it? All those people in church, I'm sure, thought they were in a great, safe place. Control is an illusion. We never know what's going to happen in the next moment. But the things that we can control the Bible tells us, is self. One of the fruits of the Spirit, in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Being able to see how I'm going to respond in a given situation. So we come to this proverb, the first Four verses says a wise son hears his father's instruction. So you're going to get this idea every single chapter, probably in every few verses in the book of Proverbs. Someone who's walking the path of life is willing to receive instruction. We want wisdom. The Bible tells in Colossians that wisdom is found in the person, Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes the example to us. Come and follow me. Walk the path that I'll walk. Anybody can find the road of destruction. That's easy to find. If you want to find the road to life, who do you have to follow? Jesus, right? Because he is the what? Way, truth, life. He's the only way to the Father, right? No other way. This is the path. He's the one who holds the gate, if you will. So we want to follow Christ on that path. Well, that path means I receive instruction. That means I will be rebuked. That means I will be corrected. The Word of God will correct me. Brothers and sisters in Christ will come along and rebuke me if I'm in error. According to James chapter 5, what, 19 and 20, the very end of the chapter, what does it say? Someone who loves his brother is going to try to change the road he's on. He's going to change his direction. If someone wanders away from the faith and has chosen that road, the path of death, if you turn a brother from his sin, what did it say? You'll save his soul. Save his soul. The word is psyche. It's talking about his life. You will save his life. Why? Because he's on the road of what? 
destruction. If there's only two roads we can walk, and following Jesus is the road of life, then everything else is what? Road of destruction, the road of death. Wide is that path. Everybody finds it. So when I, when I, if I want to recognize a road sign, what road am I on? Am I listening to instruction? If I, there are things, look, I'm not talking about the things we, we can fight over. I'm excited. We're about to start something at church called the, the round table. I don't know. Any of you guys like to fight? I'm not punching, but I'd like to argue. No? Nobody? Just me. It's going to be a boring class. I'll be there by myself. We're going to do something called the round table. We'll have a topic, and we're going to sit down in controlled chaos and discuss the sides of this topic, right? And learning or trying to put into practice critical thinking and thought and, and putting together a defense of whatever it is that, we, that we're holding to, whatever uh, um, possible you know, variety of views there may be. And we're going to sit around a table and, and try to practice doing those things. I'm, not, I'm excited about that because, listen, that's how iron sharpens iron. Iron doesn't sharpen iron by just agreeing with everything somebody else says. Right? Anybody ever sharpen a knife without having to touch it with a stone? Or a grinder? Or a file? Yeah, the, it, it don't get sharper. There's got to be friction. There's got to be that, that opportunity. And so this is a sign. I want to see what road I'm on. I want to be corrected. If I'm wrong, I want to be corrected. But I'm not just going to surrender what I, what I believe unless we there's a reason right and for that for us as believers the final arbiter is what our opinions what's the final arbiter word of god what's the word of god say that's it 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 ends all one of my favorite lines jason threw it at me today it's a lot of fun when we when we get to that but it will be we'll be discussing something because him and i both like to do that we like to take opposite sides of a view and just see how good an argument the other one can come up with and i love it when i can get to this line well your argument's not with me it's with the word of god because the word of god's it final arbiter here's what it says you know we have to deal with that and so we want to be men and women who can hear our father's instruction right we want his instruction but a scoffer a scoffer it says does not listen to rebuke. Now, there's three classes of people according to the book of Proverbs. The simple, the scoffer, and the fool. And it's a progression. The simple is like the guy who doesn't know better. The scoffer is the guy who's becoming more and more antagonistic toward the Lord. The fool is the one who has said in his heart, what? There is no God. You kind of see the progression? So we have the scoffer. What 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 makes the scoffer or the fool or the simple? They don't respond to instruction. Here God's word says, life is better than death. And we have a culture, guys, who worship death. I don't know if you are aware of that. We have a culture that that's just, it's all dressed up in neat little bows. And of course, they're not going to say it that way. But that's the result. The result is, is, that path of destruction. So we recognize the sign. Those who receive instruction. Now, listen, as we look at this, those who receive instruction do what? Well, from the fruit of a man's mouth, he eats what is good. But the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens it wide, his lips come to ruin. And the soul of the sluggard craves but gets nothing. 
the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So here's how the pattern goes. Those who receive instruction do what? They know what to do with their mouth. They know what to do with their mouth. They know when to speak and they know when to... What did the Bible say? How should we be with listening? Which is it? Slow to listen or slow to speak? Slow to speak so the other one is quick to listen, right? So we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. It's what the Word of God teaches us. This is what he's saying. The one who hears instruction, he knows what to do with his mouth. He knows when to keep silent. And as a result of exercising that self-control in his life, there's many benefits. The point of the many benefits is what? Where does that road end? Life. That's the benefit. The other man, those who shut their ears, those who do not receive instruction, they open their mouths like crazy. They got a lot of things to say, right? And they become violent. And they struggle with uh, being lazy, the sluggard, who has all these desires, but doesn't do anything about it. Doesn't do anything about it. I, I think there's some examples of that in our, in our world, in our current world today, where people who have a lot of uh, exposure, media exposure perhaps, the opportunity to be a mouthpiece maybe for some real social change, end up doing something that really isn't creating any change, just animosity. But rather than realizing what to do, how to receive instruction, what to do with their mouth, the path that they're on is wide, and the result of that path is destruction. What do I what do I do with my mouth? The use of my mouth. I want to be able to be in self-control, know when to be silent, enjoy the benefits of the road of life. That's the street sign I'm looking for. If what I find myself on is a man who shuts his ears to other people's opinions and spends a lot of time opening his mouth, I'm on the road of destruction. I need to recognize street sign. Where am I? I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about salvation. What am I talking about? What, where, what road are you walking on? Is it possible to be saved in sin? Yes or no? Man, we, we, we shouldn't live in it, right? We don't want to live in it. We don't want to walk in it, but I sin. But what do I do when I sin? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we do what? Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins. So this is what... How, how am I going to confess my sins if there's never any self-reflection? If, there's not, if I'm not paying attention to my road signs? Is it possible that I could walk a ways down the road of destruction, causing a lot of pain and havoc on the way before I realize I took a wrong turn somewhere? So we want to be men and women who are paying attention to those signs. Look at the next proverb, <coughs> verses 5 to 6. This is a proverb of action and reaction. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. <clears throat> so we have a parallel catchword. What's the catchword here? Well, we have the righteous. What about the righteous? He hates lying, and he protects the way of life. The righteous, the street sign for walking righteously, he hates lying. And he protects the path of life. What about for the wicked? Well, the wicked, he brings, instead of hating lying, he brings shame. But the way he brings shame is by promoting scandal. 
The idea of promoting scandal is the idea of being a gossip. <clears throat> Someone who takes other people's dirty laundry and airs them out. The Bible is clear. The Bible is absolutely clear what to do if we know somebody's dirty laundry. If we know somebody's dirty laundry, we're supposed to take it to them. One-on-one. Not in a crazy crowd, not building our own army behind us. If you have aught with your brother, go to your brother. Discuss it with your brother. Find peace with your brother. In as much as it is possible for you, be at peace with all men. If that doesn't work, bring another. If that doesn't work, each step gets a little bit bigger, right? On how we deal with things. But never along that step does it say, go create a scandal. Go call six friends and tell them what somebody did. Go spread this concept. The Bible says that the road sign for that, the road sign for that is a path of destruction. So your argument's not with me. It's with the Bible. He brings scandal. He brings shame. And ultimately what happens, sin, he says, is the way of destruction. The righteous man protects the way of life. Walking the path of life, he protects life, right? It's supposed to be about life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life out. More abundantly, right? I came to give you life. So if we follow Jesus, what path is that? Path of life. Not I came to give you destruction. So I want to be able to recognize, oh my gosh, look what I'm doing. I'm, I'm gossiping. I'm tail-bearing. I'm spreading scandal. What path am I on? Destruction. How do I get off it? Repent. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. But if there's never self-reflection, that's why Solomon would say, I don't know if this does any good because nobody listens. <laughs> the point of listening is, is recognizing, you know what? Yes, this is, a, this is the way I want to walk. This is the life I want to live. This is the path I want to follow. And then making that choice to say, I'm going to be a man or woman who lives in repentance. I, I don't know all the different views that you guys have, but I, unlike some people in politics, have to repent all the time. And, and I am a little bit leery of somebody who doesn't. Now, they may just be better, a better person. I, I, I can acknowledge that that is possible. But I know my heart. And I know what the Bible says about your heart. When we see what happened this last Sunday... When we see what occurred in Texas, we all ask the same questions. How could somebody do that? But you know what doesn't ask that question? The Bible. The Bible is not shocked. The Bible says the heart of a man is desperately wicked. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe the heart of man is wicked? That God gives us guidelines to help control the wickedness of our heart. And that we want to follow those guidelines. We want to recognize the challenges that God gives us. Choose life. God set the entire nation of Israel between two mountains in a valley. And he told them, guys, you are in the valley of decision. And you are in the valley of decision every single morning you wake up. Every morning you wake up, you're in the valley of decision. And the Lord is saying to us, see, I have set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choice is yours. Choose life. That's what God said in Deuteronomy. Choose life. Choose the way of life. 
the way of a control, self-control, the way of, of uh, using the mouth properly for what it's for, the way of recognizing that every action has a reaction. Galatians says, don't be deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Right? What are we planning? The good news about reaping is you always get more than you sow. Wait a minute, that's only good news if you're planting good seed, right? If you're planting bad seed, that could be bad news. So we don't want to be doing that. We want to hear, we want to see the, the street signs. <clears throat> Next proverb is about uh, the ambiguity of, of riches. What's the point of wealth? Is uh, the checkbook the way to keep score in life? He who dies with the most toys wins. Well, let's look. Verse 7 to 11. One pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The first thing that he's laying out for us in this proverb is this idea that it's not always what it looks like. Right? Everybody that we look at from the outside and we say, man, that guy's really wealthy. Maybe they're not. That doesn't mean maybe their checkbook's not full. Their checkbook can be full, but they may not be wealthy. They may not be what God considers to be wealthy. They may be poor. And the people we look at and think are poor, God may say, they're not poor, they're wealthy. You know, you might say, Jackie, what are you talking about? The book of Revelation, for one. Right? Remember the book of Revelation? There's two churches. There's seven letters to seven churches, and the seven churches all got a report card they didn't expect. They all saw themselves a different way than God saw them. That is challenging to me. Ooh, I need to be careful how I think about myself. It's possible for me to deceive myself. Do we know that? It's possible to deceive yourself? There were two churches in particular. Smyrna, which was a persecuted church, which believed themselves to be very poor and deeply suffering. And while they were deeply suffering, God said, you're not poor, you're rich. And for them, he had no word of condemnation. No word of struggle that they needed to repair, fix, thing they needed to do, just be faithful to the death. And God said, I'll give you the crown of life. To the church of Laodicea, they believed that they were rich, wealthy, had need of nothing. They had it all. We're good to go. But God said, you don't even know you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Come to me and buy gold refined in the fire. God's saying, look, the wealth you have is not what makes you wealthy. And the point of this proverb is, we don't all, we, whatever we think wealth is, we may want to use God's scale to understand wealth. Because for God, the church of Smyrna was greatly wealthy, but they were the most suffering and poor church in the group. And the church of Laodicea, who had all the money, were the poorest in the group. So we want to understand, and I think this proverb can help us if we can, if we can kind of unpack it, unwrap what's going on. He says, the ransom of man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. What's, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, you may have money, and that money may be able to ransom your life if you're in debt, or if you want to look at it as being kidnapped, but the poor, they're not in debt because they didn't have any money. So the question for the proverb is, which one's really more wealthy? 
The one who has the money to get himself out of trouble or the one who doesn't have any money to get himself in trouble? The question that the, that the writer of this proverb is laying out for us is, what is true wealth? What is it really all about? Then he moves on to this idea. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Now he turns from thinking about wealth in terms of money, and he says, the righteous have light. If we have light, we know where we're going and how to get there, right? And the wicked have no lamp. The wicked walk around in the darkness. Now bring it back to the concept of wealth. Which one's more wealthy? Which is better? To be able to see where you're going or not be able to see where you're going? Which one has more value? If the guy who's blind has more money in his pocket, is he really more wealthy than the guy who has no money in his pocket but knows where he's going? Everybody tracking with me okay? And then he goes on to this. By insolence or pride comes nothing but strife. That's exactly what James said. James said, where do wars and fights come from among you? What did he say? Your pride. Your pride. And what does Proverbs say? Through your pride, through your insolence, through your <coughs> um, overconfidence comes nothing but strife. But those who take advice have wisdom. Okay, so you have the prideful. You guys ever met a prideful guy who pretty sure he has all the answers? You ever try to to instruct somebody who already knows and you maybe you know maybe you absolutely know what they're doing is going to create greater problems for them but they can't hear you their pride their overconfidence whatever brings strife the question comes back to wealth which man is more wealthy the one who is able to hear and accept and receive wisdom or the one rather than being able to hear has a pocket full of change but is filled with pride the question is, what, what is real riches? Is real riches the treasure of following Christ and walking in wisdom? Or is real riches having your pockets full of gold? And that's the question that the proverb is asking. Where does it really lie? Look what it says in verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. What's he saying? We've all said this before. We just said it different. We say it like this. Easy come, easy go. But slow and steady wins a race. This is not, these are not foreign concepts. They're things that we can recognize and understand. Recognize and understand. I know when, when something requires work and effort, it is held on to as more valuable no matter what it was than something that's just given something that's just given is easy come easy go but that that, that which you had to struggle and fight your way for it had nothing to do with the wealth in your pockets what it had to do with was the effort it took to achieve the effort it took to achieve made it more valuable. So the question from this proverb is, what is the point of riches? How are we going to govern riches? Am I after just the coin in my pocket? Or am I after something deeper than that? One of the greatest things I think John Piper ever taught, concept he ever spoke of, and it's something really, I guess some people could say, <clears throat> he has a one-string banjo, but I think we all do at some point. 
But his concept is this. Jesus is the greatest treasure you can ever have. And he is absolutely right about that. Jesus is the greatest treasure you can ever have. In fact, Scripture declares all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. All the riches of the grace of God are found in him. And there's incredible wealth and riches there, but your pockets may be absolutely empty by earthly standards. But in God's eyes, which are you? Smyrna or Laodicea? Are you the one who thinks you're rich when you're really poor? Are you the one who thinks you're poor and God says you're really rich? This is what this proverb is all about, helping us recognize, hopefully, the street signs that are there. Next proverb is a proverb on hope. It says in uh, verse 12 to 19, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres a commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise, it's a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger is, falls into trouble, but faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Here's the other side of the inclusio. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul. But to turn away from evil is an abomination to the fool. So we're talking about hope. Hope deferred. Hope put off. Hope When hope dies, the heart gets sick. That's what he's saying. When hope dies, the heart gets sick. Far better is to see a desire fulfilled. A fulfilled desire is a tree of life. The idea is keeping your eyes on the prize. We heard Paul say this, right? Keep your eyes on the prize. When we're, when we're running the race, you can't run a race and look backwards at everybody chasing you. What do you look at? What do you focus on? The finish line, right? I want to cross the finish line. How many times does Paul say, I run this race to win. I, I keep my eyes focused on the prize. I'm moving toward Christ. I want to keep that momentum moving. I can't do that by looking back at my past failures, at my past struggles. I do it by keeping my eyes on the prize. That's hope fulfilled. Seeing the finish line. Focused on the finish line. Moving toward the finish line. Focused on the goal. Moving toward the goal. So I want to see that desire fulfilled. Now the question always comes up, how do I know if my desires are godly or if my desires are carnal? And the book of Romans is the book that tells us. Romans tells us that what is sitting on the heart, what is sitting on the throne of your heart? If you are sitting on the throne of your heart, your desire is carnal. That's a street sign. If Jesus is sitting on the throne of your heart, your desire is godly. The psalm said it like this. The psalm said, if you delight in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. The book of Deuteronomy said this. If we want to, and I, I think it's laying out the concept, guys, of fulfilling the law and the prophets. How do we do that? Love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart. Love God with all your heart. The next part, do what you want. How can I say that? Because your desires are godly. The things you're going to want to do will be the things Jesus is laying in your heart. That's what the Word promises us. 
the question for us, the check for us, the self-evaluation uh, is, is Jesus on the throne of my heart? Is my eyes focused on that prize? Is that where I'm going? If that's where I'm going, my desires can be trusted. My desires are godly because God promises if I delight in the Lord, if I delight in His Word, if I delight in who He is, if I'm longing for His appearing, all these things put together tell us about how the desires of our heart can be. And here's what Paul said. Don't let sin reign in your heart. Let Christ reign. If Christ reigns, He's ruling. Desire is good. If you're reigning, sin reigns. Desire is bad. So we just check who's on the throne, which desire is. And we'll see that as we get to the end of the inclusio. He says, now whoever despises the word brings destruction. There's a street sign. There's a street sign. If I hate the word of God, what path am I on? Path of destruction. Who, Who hates the word? That's what he's talking about. How do I know that's what he's talking about? Look at the parallel to that proverb. What's the parallel? The parallel is, but he who reveres the commandment, what's he talking about? It's the same phrasing. The word and the commandment, same thing. He's talking about the word of God. He who reveres the commandment will what? Be rewarded. What road is that? Life. Life, destruction. Life, destruction. What path will we walk? These are the street signs so that we can understand my desire is godly. I'm keeping my eye on the prize. I can run for hope. And my hope is alive and I can pursue. And the hope's not dying because Christ sits on that throne in my life. He says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that may turn one away from the snares of death. What's he saying? The teach, going back to the concept of the word. The word is the key to our desires being godly. The word is the key to, to self-evaluation. The word is the key to understanding the road. So the teaching of the wise, the wise all throughout the book of Proverbs, not about how smart you are or what kind of test you can pass. It's about who are you following. The wise follow Jesus Christ. The fool says there is no God. So the wise, the teaching of the wise keep you off the path of destruction. The teaching of the wise keep you off the path of destruction. So paying attention to those who have gone before, following the message, holding fast to the Word of God. These are the things that help. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. So he's saying, look, if you've got common sense, which is not all that common, the idea of common sense, if you understand these teachings, wisdom is the way of life. If you understand that teaching, if you understand that, that's the path that you want to walk You want to see and you will find favor. But the treacherous, the wicked, the one who refuse instruction, refuse the word, close the door on that, let other desires reign and rule in their life, that's the path of destruction. They go to ruin. Every prudent man acts with knowledge. Every prudent man, he hears, he receives wisdom from the word and acts according to the word. Every prudent man. So every man who doesn't do that is imprudent, right? Everyone who won't listen to what the Word of God says, anyone who won't follow that, he says, a fool flaunts his folly. A fool is excited about how he did it all wrong, 
how he, how he followed the wrong path. He is exalting, lifting up, extolling the folly of his life, which is, which is ultimately what? I am without wisdom. I won't follow the word. I'm not on the way of life. I am on the path of destruction. <clears throat> A wicked messenger falls into trouble. But the faithful envoy brings healing. Now, here's the idea. Wicked messenger is compared with a faithful envoy. So what kind of wickedness are we talking about? If I look at it, I want to understand the parallels are laid beside each other so that we can compare and contrast. The wicked messenger is unfaithful and the faithful messenger is faithful. Which do we prefer in all of our lives? Does everybody want an unfaithful person? Or a faithful person? Faithful, right? We want to reward faithfulness. Faithfulness brings healing. Faithfulness is rewarded. Unfaithfulness is not. Nobody says, you know what I need? I need a special guy to carry a message for me. So the guy I want to choose to carry my message to whomever is the most unfaithful, untrustworthy guy I can find. Is that how we choose a messenger? No. How do we choose a messenger? We choose faithfulness. We choose faithfulness. And so they lie this comparison next to each other. Hey, the wicked, nobody wants a wicked messenger. They want a faithful messenger. So poverty and disgrace come to him who ignore instruction. That's the path of destruction. But whoever heeds, whoever listens, whoever hears the word and adjusts, he's honored. A desire fulfilled is sweet for the soul. Here's how you can tell the difference. A desire is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from an abomination, that desire which is not godly, to turn away is an abomination to the fool. The fool won't receive instruction. He won't hear the Word of God say, this desire in your life is sinful. Have you ever had the Word of God show you that something you want was sinful from the Word of God? I want to do this thing, but the Word of God tells me that is sinful. A fool, who is the man who says in his heart there is no God, who's on the road of destruction, won't hear the correction and let go. I used to tell a story about how they catch spider monkeys. You guys ever heard that? The little little cage with marbles in it? A hole on the outside of the cage just big enough to put your hand in? There's all those pretty marbles. And the spider monkey wants to play with the pretty, pretty marbles. So he sticks his hand in the cage, grabs a handful of marbles, but he can't pull his hand out the cage. He's holding on to the marbles. Here comes a guy with a club. They don't need a gun. They walk over and bash him on the head. Got it. Caught me a spider monkey. Then they sit him on the table, cut up their head, and eat their brains. Whatever that doesn't seem like a good meal, but it seems like a bad deal for the monkey, right? Well, the point is sometimes we're the monkey holding on to a bunch of worthless marbles when the Word of God tells us that's the way of destruction. There's a man that's going to come hit you in the head with a club. Let go of the marbles. That's what the Bible's telling us. Let go of the marbles. Let go of those wicked desires. Turn and learn what the Word of God has laid out for us. In Proverbs 20 and 21, we have the idea of how to choose companions. Listen to what it says. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. It's the idea. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. 
Who are you hanging out with? Why are you hanging out with them? What's the goal? What's the purpose? What's the point? You hang out with the wise, then your, your path is life and there'll be wisdom. I'm not saying re, get yourself away from the world and never have anything to do with a sinner. That's not what the Bible's saying. It's talking about who are you intimate with? Who are you sharing meals with? Who is it that you are connected with so that you can grow, move forward, become mature, become the man or woman that you want to be? has nothing to do with witnessing. When they sent out the 70, they sent them out two by two. They went from person to person sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. If their news was rejected, what did they do? Shake the dust off their feet and go where? To the next person. Did they say, did they enter into a five-year relationship? Why not? Your argument's not with me. It's with what the Word of God lays out. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. If a man stands on a chair and everybody else is on the ground, is everyone else going to get up on the chair or is the chair coming down to the ground? You tell me, is it easier to pull somebody down or to pull everybody else up? Trust me, you're coming down. Well, are you sure about that? I don't, I don't know. I, here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what, part, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them, walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Now, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about us getting out of society and not working anymore, not engaging the culture, not engaging the lost. What am I talking about? Close personal relationships. Close personal relationships. Ought to be those relationships. The the road sign on the path of life are those ones that are going to make you better because you're in that relationship with those people. Going to make you more godly going to help you walk the path you want to walk i'm compassionate and i'm empathetic and i want to minister to the ungodly absolutely do and so i'm going to do that every time i get a chance i get lots of opportunity trust me no shortage of lost people that are in or around my life but i am not in a close personal relationship whereby or wherein they influence my walk I need to protect my walk so that I stay on the road of life and I'm helpful to those who are on the path of destruction. That's what he's saying. The man who walks with the wise man will be wise. He says, but the companion of fools will do what? Suffer harm. That's not going to ruin, not going to destroy everything. But everybody thinks they're the, the exception to this rule. 
I've never met somebody who says, you know what, Jackie, you're right. I, I really shouldn't do that. Everybody tells me, well, that, that, that's fine and good, but, but that doesn't really work in my life. I, I wish I had a nickel for every time somebody told me, you know, I tried that whole Bible, what the Bible says, but it, it doesn't work. Are, are you serious? There may be deeper problems. Yeah, there's not the idea. In fact, Paul uses this phrase. We had it at Monday night. Uh, somebody asked a question about the, the scripture saying, don't even eat with this person. And they, they asked the question, why does it say don't even eat with them? Well, in our culture, eating with somebody is not as big a deal as in their culture. In their culture, eating with somebody was a, a sign of close, intimate relationship. Close, intimate relationship. So he's saying don't have a close, intimate relationship with that. The Bible says if a brother is caught in sexual immorality or struggling in sin and you confront him and he don't want to listen, don't even eat with him. What's it saying? Don't get in a close, personal relationship. Why? Because he will do what? Pull you down. You will not pull him up. What Paul says is to turn him loose for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. We think we know better. Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but he's on the path of destruction. Can we hear, can we see what it is that the word of God is laying out for us? The very last one is provision for the family, 22 to 25. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. It's laid up for the righteous. The Solomon said, I got all this money and it's going to go to a fool. How long did the fool have it? Not very long. Who ended up with it? Other people. Rehoboam, Jeroboam, kingdom splits. Israel stops growing and being who it was going to be all because of the hands of fool. The fallow ground of the poor will yield much food, but it's swept away through injustice. Here's what he's saying. Hey, listen, this is what God said. So, again, your argument's not with me. He's saying sometimes people are poor because of injustice. Sometimes they're poor because the rich rip them off. People take advantage. He's saying their field would yield crops. But they don't get the yield because of injustice. If we don't run around with our eyes shut, we should be able to see that in our world today. Yeah? Are some people poor because they're lazy? Sure. Are some people poor because of injustice? Yes. Yeah. They are. Some people are poor because of injustice. That's what he's saying. So, And then he moves immediately to this concept. Whoever spares the rod does what? Hates his son. Whoever spares a rod hates his son. It's not loving not to discipline your child. It is not loving not to discipline your brother. It's not loving when, if God was not to discipline me. Because he loves me, it says he chastens me. Hebrews tells me he chastens the ones he loves. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline. Diligent to correct. Why? What's the point? Because a man who has received correction will take care of his family. A man who receives discipline will take care of his family. Some of the problems that we have in the inner cities of the United States of America is because there is no discipline within the inner cities, or very little. Uh, and 
because there's no discipline in the inner cities, men grow up and they don't take care of their family. Right? They father as many kids as they want. They take no responsibility and and we swallow it. We are like, yeah, that's just how it is these days. But the word says, if you really loved them, somebody would have disciplined, would have taught them what it means to be a man. Would have taught them what it means to be a father. Would have taught him the way of life. So he could walk the way of life and, and be the kind of person he needs to be. Why? Because the righteous will have enough. The righteous will have enough. The wicked won't. That's how it ends. The man walking the way of life will have enough. What is it that God promises us? Our daily bread. You'll get enough. Never said you wouldn't be hungry. Never said you wouldn't be cold. Never said you wouldn't be in prison. Never said somebody won't come in the back of the room and shoot you all. He had promised you this. In this world, you will have tribulation. What did he say next? But be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome this world. He said, don't fear, man, who can take your life. The worst thing an evil man can do to you is put you in the presence of God. Where you hear the words, watch me make all things new. God knows how to fix it all. We put our trust in him. So what is the message? What do we need to teach our sons? What do we need to teach the youth? We need to teach them that the path of life, following Jesus Christ, you'll have what you need. And the end result, you'll have everything you could ever possibly want. That path leads to life. The other path, destruction. Do we not see that in the stories that we read on, in the newspaper? The people who have chosen the path of destruction, and where does it go? To destruction. The man who walked into the back of that church building, where did that story end? Life or death? Lots of it, right? Lots of it. What path is that? The direction and the path and the way we walk bring us either the satiation, the satisfaction we have in Christ, or the want that cannot be filled because we lack Christ. Because He is the one great treasure we all need. Amen?